0: Welcome back to the Hot Dish Comfort Food for Rural America and a Happy New Year. I hope everyone listening had a nice break in the New Year's. Uh, Joel, how you feeling?
1: I'm feeling great. Uh, my first New Year's resolution I've already broke, so why not get it done first, <laughs> right? Uh, I got to tell you, I'm happy to be here and excited for the New Year. You know, what? the presidential election and the renewal of the Farm Bill on the table, 2024 is a, a big year for us in rural America.
0: Well, it's election year, obviously, but every election year is a chance to talk about rural America. We're with people who otherwise may not care about rural America. And all of a sudden they think, oh, be nice if I got a few votes out of that part of the country. Um, And so it's our chance to advance some great ideas for policy. It's our chance to talk about what's actually happening in rural America that's optimistic and, you know, kind of uh, path forward for growth. But an election year is a good year for us in rural America because people finally pay attention.
1: Well, and it's a good time to show them what matters, uh, which is all the issues, uh, the food on their table uh, and the people that are producing much of what they're using. And I think we do a poor job of that in rural America. And that's one thing we can do through the hot dish. We can get out there. We can show people what we're about, who we are, and really why we're no different than they are. We just make our money in a different way.
0: And I mean, in part, they have an image of rural America. One of my goals has really been to dispel it, that the only thing that happens in rural America is agriculture. We have a huge uh emerging and revitalized soil manufacturing interest. And we've seen that in our country where bobcat grew out of winter North Dakota. Bobcats are skid steer loaders. So let's not just get pigeonholed into it's all about, you know, wheat crop and soybeans and corn and rice and beans or whatever it is that our our producer grows. But there's a lot going on, a lot of innovation, a lot of uh, thinking about that next uh, generation of opportunities in rural America that we can talk about in 2024.
1: And I would add this. It's a place where everybody's welcome. In 2024, there's going to be people coming. They're going to come around. They're going to want to vote. They're going to want to shake hands, all of that. But get past that. Uh, For the people listening to Hot Dish, I don't care what you're coming for. It might be hunting, might be fishing, might be whatever. Those are just my interests. But, uh, you know, come on out to the rural area. It isn't just something that we talk about. It's something that we live.
0: We're talking with one of the most important leaders we have representing rural America's interest in Washington, D.C., And that is our 2023, let's have a drum roll, One Country Project Rural Champion Award winner, Senator John Tester. How could you not give that award to the only real farmer in the whole group of United States senators? Those of you who know John, he's famous for his flat top. He is famous for his um, videos on the work that he is doing on the farm. But mainly, he is famous for his straight-talking, uh, no-nonsense approach to becoming a United States Senator and serving as a United States Senator. But I'm going to tell you, Ed John, by way of introduction, something that maybe people don't appreciate uh, about you, and that is your advocacy for veterans, um, or some people say veterans. Uh, we in North Dakota say veterans. You know, you have been the go-to source. You have been the voice. And obviously you know, Montanas care a lot about the people in Montana and a lot of them are veterans, but I think it just represents for me your commitment to honoring your word, the word that we give to the men and women who um, defend our freedom. It's a rural value that you bring and you remind people every day of those values, especially through
2: your advocacy for veterans. Thank you. So I don't know where to start or where to end. First of all, thank you for the one Country Project World Champion Award. I appreciate that a ton, and I will tell you that as I travel around the country, I continually talk about my friends that are no longer in the United States Senate. Uh, one Heidi Heitkamp, one Claire McCaskill, and one Joe Donnelly for sure. And uh, I just want to tell you that you know things change and times change. But the truth is, is the the country is not richer by not having you three in the United States Senate. I'll just tell you that the work that you guys did. You talk about my work, but the truth is his work that you guys did was incredible. And uh, and I wish you were still here, but you're not. And now you're doing good work out in the private sector, making a difference. And and, and I appreciate that, Heidi. As, well, uh, thanks, John. As somebody that is uh, you know, still serving in the Senate and still trying to do things, we need folks like you out there talking about rural America and, and how important the policies we pass, how important it is for them to work in rural America. So I just want to thank you there.
0: So often uh, people ask, oh, what's the difference between, you know, Republican foreign policy and Democratic foreign policy? And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And, you know, I think the work that we did in the Senate and you, you know, really represent this value. We had a, a secretary of agriculture who said, get big or get out. Yep. That's not what we think is good farm nope. policy. <laughs> if nope. you grew up in a small town that relied on you know, a guy coming to town and buying a part here and there or, or going mm-hmm. to the drugstore or, you know, uh, using the local implement dealership, you know that it's the small farmers that keep that operation going. So when you look at get big or get out, um, John, you've been advancing a lot of great policies like yeah. the ability for farmers to fix their own equipment without uh, voiding warranties. Can you Can you talk about kind of where you see that get bigger, get out versus, you know, let's support the producers who are out there making communities work.
2: So I think what we've seen with uh, with the folks, when the Secretary said get bigger, get out, I think we saw a lot of folks get bigger and we saw a lot of folks get out for a number of reasons, for pricing reasons and other reasons. And what we've seen, the result of that is, is rural America severely diminished. And so I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's bad policy. And I think it's an accurate policy too. And I think the land-grant colleges are really important in this, in this overall scheme of things because if they can teach people how to farm without having to have 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 acres of land, that's good. I mean, my wife and I, for a good many years, uh, supported two families on 1,140 acres of land. And we did that because uh, we maximized that ability on that farm. We raised hogs, we raised cows, we cut up some beef. For a while, I taught school. For a while, I did crop adjusting. You just did what you could do to make a few extra dollars to make things work. So, you got to have a farm bill that works for those small producers. And if you don't have a farm bill that works for those small producers, they're going to go broke. Or if you have a farm bill that uh, skews it for the big guys so they can pull in three, four, five, six, seven hundred thousand bucks a year, not over 10, but a year, that, that skews it too. So, we need to make sure that, that we have a farm bill that works. And by the way, uh, it's one of the things that you worked on, I worked on, and they're working on right now because I just talked to, to Stabenow about this, who's the chair of the Ag Committee. Uh, this is a young farmer program to make sure that people who want to get back involved in agriculture have the opportunity to do that because it's such a high cost business to be in. But the truth is, is that uh, I think you nailed it when you said it's a big difference in the parties. Get bigger, get out versus let's make rural America all it can be. And policies from Washington D.C. make a difference as to whether people are going to be able to afford to stay in agriculture and and support their family and and continue to support rural America.
1: Well, Senator, I follow you on. Uh, well, I'm just going to say Twitter. I don't care much for the X thing, but I, you know, I see a butchering on there, and I they just want to put in my order for half of a half, if that's okay. Man, I'll is tell that you. A, is that a deal?
2: That's uh, I, I wish I could. I you know. We're going to screw around here in Washington, D.C. We're working on a supplemental, and I, get, I want to get that supplemental done for Ukraine and for Israel and for Indo-Pacific and for the southern border and all the above, but they're going to screw around here. It's cutting into my meat-cutting time, if you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> well, you're good at it. I follow it, and <laughs> I know a little something about it myself. I have to say this. My radio show goes well into Montana, into yeah. the eastern part of Montana, which is one yep. of the more conservative parts of Montana. It is. But mm. they like you. You know, they they like you. I I don't know where that changes from like you to more of them vote for you. But no matter what, they like you. And so as you go about what could be one of the toughest races that you have, this is going to be so doggone close, a hundred of those could make a difference.
2: Well, there's no doubt about that. I've always had close races. And you're right. We appreciate every vote we can get from, from everybody out there. I think that this race isn't going to be a heck of a lot different than the other three I've had and that they're going to try to make me into something that I'm not and run against that person. The other thing that was interesting, and I've said this on a show or two, is that the people I run against, they want to be me, for God's sakes. I mean, they <laughs> want to wear card-hard uh, coats and they want to put on Elkskin gloves and all that stuff. Uh, the truth is, is that if you're a lawyer or if you're a realtor or if, if you're a doctor, I mean, be that person. I mean, that's not a bad thing, you know, and I'll be a farmer and everybody be happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you know, these guys don't have a marker on the hearts. I mean, they don't. <laughs> they don't, they don't they, if they got a little cattle blood on there, the first thing they do is run to town and buy another one. So, yeah. I mean, you're pretty well, you right about
2: well, that. And I'm going to tell you, and I think it's the same thing with North Dakota, but Montana can see the BS factor. I don't know if I can say bullshit or not on this show, but. Uh, the truth is, is they know it when they see it. And and so you might as well be real because that's what people expect you to be.
1: Yeah. Senator, when you look at the rural area, you talked about less people in it. There's more expense to it, yeah. uh, as you know. And one of the things I, I know that you've prided yourself on is being able to succeed from a rural area. And that means yeah. broadband. That yep. means water. That yep. means roads. I mean, yep. uh, how do we keep getting better when it comes to
2: that in the rural areas? Well, look, I, I think there's so many pieces of this puzzle, Joel. I mean, I think p- part of it is we've got to have competition in the marketplace on the input side and on the product side, on the commodity side, on the food side. And the, the businesses overall is really, really way too consolidated for capitalism to work like it needs to work. And so we've got to work on that. You know, when I think it was 1921, 1922, they passed the Packers and Stockyards Act. Because the meatpacking industry was too consolidated. A hundred years later, we're more consolidated today than we were when they passed the Packers and Stockyards Act. And you can say this the same thing about the grains. It's just getting way too consolidated. You see the same thing about the inputs. We watched Bear by Roundup. I mean, are you kidding me? Bear company by Roundup the Company. That's just more consolidation. That's less competition. That doesn't give farmers a break to be able to make capitalism work. And now we're talking about something like right to repair where we have computers on these new tractors where you have a perfectly good tractor and you get a, a glitch in the computer and it won't work. And that ain't right either because they they come out, you know, and, and when you're living out in the rural district, like I'm 50 miles away from the nearest dealer. And so it's a 100-mile round trip. Hell, that alone costs several hundred dollars. And then you got the mechanic to pay, you know, pay for the time that they're on the road. And it's all because there's a glitch in the computer. They plug the computer in. They release the code. Your tractor works fine. That's a good way to put the little guy out of business. I'm just telling you. And so... We've got a lot of things to do in the corporate landscape of agriculture in our markets and our inputs and our equipment to make it so people can continue to stay in business by doing some of the things they always did to fix equipment to be able to continue to do that. And, um, you know, I'll I'll never figure out why the big equipment manufacturers think it's a good idea to drive people out of business and have fewer and fewer farmers. It just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Well, and what I would add, with you on that is you know there's a lot of people buying acres of land that aren't they don't even want to be a rancher or a farmer it's true and i don't know how you fix that senator
2: yeah well i mean we're, we're doing some stuff with china russia north korea and iran but the truth is there's a lot of folks that are buying land uh but like you say they're they've really got no connection to the land it's an investment to them yeah, and i don't think you, you build communities that way either to be honest with you but look, you know, real estate has always been pretty darn secure, and I get it. If you've got a lot of money and you wanna, you've already bought your place, in wherever it is, Southern California and downtown Manhattan, and and all that, you're looking for other places to buy land, and and they're buying, they're buying a ton of land in Montana, and the upshot of that is, a lot of our best fishing holes and hunting spots are now locked off. Because an out-of-stater owns them and they don't understand Montana values. Or rural values, I should say, in this particular case. And, and I will tell you that that's, that's unfortunate. And, and, uh, but it's tough to stop because willing buyer, willing seller, that's how this country's always worked. And if we start saying, no, that person can't buy your land, then I'd be at the front of the line screaming too. You know what I mean?
0: Well, me too. But I gave a talk, John, to the sugar beet growers in the Red River Valley. They're celebrating, you know, 50 years of value-added co-op uh, ingenuity and giving themselves a rightful pat on the back. And you know, I had a chance to say, you know, what do I see as emerging threats? Land ownership is the single, in my opinion, the single <laughs> biggest threat to rural America and the values that we have. And what I told them, and you know, because it's hard to come up with a solution that doesn't interfere with private property rights. You yep. should be able to sell your land to whoever, you know, highest bidder. But I said, you really need to start having a conversation within families. Yes. Families who still value that rural tradition. And you know, what's happening in many places in, in our neck of the woods is that the families, you know, grandpa and grandma gave it to the kids. Okay. And that was your sibling. That was farming. Yep. Now it's not the kids who own it anymore. It's the grandkids. And it may be a second generation or maybe you're leasing that land to a neighbor or, a you know, cousin. Right. But all of these interests are getting so fractionalized. They're getting so unmanageable. And what happens when the managing partner, which isn't even a farmer, right. starts telling people how to produce or what they need to do, or you know, isn't worried about soil conservation because they don't feel any attachment to it. And I, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that when I look up and see 20 years into the future, we're going to wonder, was there ever a time when we could fix this problem?
2: Well, I don't disagree with you, and the time to fix it is now. You know, we have got a farmland bill to prevent folks that are connected with the Chinese Communist Party from buying land in the in the U.S., and we're getting pushback. The Speaker of the House pushback. We didn't. We had it on the National Defense Authorization Act because food security is homeland security, is national security, and the Speaker of the House says no, we don't want that on here. So now we got. I mean, why? I mean, because he, well, he believes anybody that wants to buy the land can't. I think. If you're connected with Putin or you're connected with the Chinese Communist Party or North Korea or, or Iran, uh, you, you forfeited that privilege to buy land in this country. Uh, they, we wouldn't, they wouldn't allow us to buy land in their country, I'll tell you that. And the reason is, is because we need to make sure our national security and our food security is held sacred.
0: Yeah, uh, Senator,
1: what's it like when you, uh, just being the type of person you are, when, when you get out of D.C., And you land in Montana, and you get in that pickup that's half dented up. How good does that feel? Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) Well, it almost makes me feel like I'm Heidi Heitkamp with pants on. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, we have to
0: explain that joke. (laughs) I guess I might
2: have to. (laughs) I'll I'll let Heidi explain it after I get done. Look, when I get to the farm, that's a special place for me. My grandfather... His dad homesteaded in the Red River Valley, and my grandfather farmed there, and then that same group that you were talking to we may have had some, maybe farming my great-grandfather's homestead, dude, and I was, it's not in the family anymore. And then he moved to North Central Montana, and I will tell you why he stopped where he stopped. I don't know, but we've been there for about 125, 120 years, so it's it's been good, hundred and fifteen, something like that. But the bottom line is when I get out, and the air's better there. I actually can get work done and look back and say, you accomplished something. Oftentimes that goes on for months here in Washington, D.C. And it's home, man. I mean, it's home. So it always feels good when I get off the airplane and I get to drive home when i pull in the yard and, and I'm home. So it's good. As far as being Heidi Camp with pants, when Heidi was running, somebody told her she looked like John Tester in a dress. No, so, you know, that I, thought, I, I talk
0: uh, like John Tester only in a dress. He, okay, he said, talk, it, he, okay right. I'm going to tell the talk, real story. Look. So I, I got up and I gave a speech. And this guy comes running at me, and he goes, do you know who you are? And i kind of like, well, how do you answer that question? Yes, on a good day, I do. I said, yeah. And he goes, no, 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 you know what I mean. And I went, no. And he went, you're John Tester in a skirt. <laughs> I think he was a fan. At least I yeah. took it that way, Tester. No,
2: it's, that's that. My, Heidi, that's one of the highest compliments you'll ever get. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you <know?
1: laughs> Speaking as your baby brother, I didn't know you owned a skirt.
0: (laughs) You know, John, I've been to your farm. Yes, you have. And a lot of people have. And I think you've brought out some city slickers, you know, people who work in Washington, D.C., trying to make public policy out to the farm. And I don't think for all the kinds of trips that people take, whether it's to a ball game and some, you know, Yankee Stadium or wherever it is, the mountains to go skiing or whatever it is. I don't think there's more memorable place that you can bring people that, number one, gives them a sense of who you are, Yeah. but but also gives them a sense of why it is so important that we save and fight for rural America. It's all right there on your farm. It's all right there.
2: Well, I would tell you, a little town down the road is called Big Sandy. It's, it's where I went to school. It's where my kids were born, actually. Well, my son was born. I guess my daughter was born. I have her, but, but at any rate it's been the town. I mean, it's, everybody knows everybody. Hell, most people are related enough. You go back to a few, mar- few marriages, but it breaks my heart when I go in that town, drive into the town. And, you know, like when I was growing up, we had two hardware stores. Now we got nothing. We had three grocery stores. We got one. Um, you know, we we had five bars. Now we're down to two, maybe three on a good day. And we need an injection of good news and an injection of jobs and an injection of, of things that will help that economy grow. It's one of the reasons I fought so hard for broadband in the infrastructure packages because I think if we can get rural America wired up with broadband, it will give people an opportunity to live in rural America and do business there or do business somewhere else and still live in rural America. So we'll see. There's there's hope on the horizon, but, but the bottom line is, you know, really for the last 60, 70 years, we've been heading in the wrong direction in rural areas as far as population goes, and I think this country is strong, when it has a strong middle class, and it's also strong when it has strong uh, family farm, agriculture, and strong public school systems. And I I just really believe in that up and down the line.
0: Yeah, and people may listen to this and say, well, it's just, you know, get big or get out. It's inevitable. It doesn't have to be inevitable. Nothing in this country is inevitable if we apply leadership and resources and trust the people who live there to basically build it back and build it back better. 100%
2: 100% correct, Heidi. 100% correct.
1: Just one
0: technical question, Senator.
1: And I'm I'm really curious about this because we saw it here in, in my backyard. COVID actually helped some of the rural areas with what yeah. you and others accomplished. And Heidi, uh, making sure that we had good broadband in these rural areas, there was a lot of people that found out they can work from home, work in some of
2: these rural areas. Oh, there's no doubt about it. There is. And, and there's more opportunity that We're just scratching the surface, quite frankly. But every time I fly home, if I get stuck next to somebody, I, they're telling me about opportunities that have come about because of broadband. I think that there is incredible opportunity when you can talk to people, and broadband allows you to talk to anybody in the world at any moment in time. And that brings around opportunity for people to live in areas that they normally wouldn't be able to live in. And and look, I, I will tell you, if you're interested in watching pro baseball games, uh, Big Sandy ain't the place you want to live, okay? <laughs> But if you're interested in going out and getting yourself an antelope in the fall during hunting season, Big Sandy is a place you want to live, if you know what I mean. So it's not for everybody, but I do think that, uh, look, I, I couldn't live in a big city all the time. It'd drive me crazy. And a lot of people can't drive it and live in rural America to drive them crazy. But for a vast majority of people in between, it's opportunity. And, uh, and, and we need to continue to work on giving people opportunity.
0: Well, John, I just want you to know that uh, the podcast is open to you anytime. We hope that some of the policymakers that listen to us across the country hear some words of hope, but also some great ideas like the work that you're doing, whether it's antitrust, whether it is the right to repair, uh, whether it is, you know, kind of nibbling away and then taking the big policy moves to figure out how we can get smaller producers successful financially on the farm. And a lot of that is conservation. A lot of that is growing specialty crops that need to be protected in this farm bill. And so there's a reason why, uh, not just because of how you look, (laughs) I have to say that there's a reason why you got the champion of rural America support from the One Country Project. And so thank you so much, John, for coming on. I look forward to Maybe coming over to Montana in 2024 because Absolutely. you know if it helps, I'll come. If it hurts, I'll stay away.
2: No, no, you're you're always you're always welcome, Joe. You're always welcome too. And I will tell you that I'm incredibly flattered by the Real Champion Award. I appreciate it very, very much. It's uh, it means a lot, especially coming from the One Country Project. So thank you.
1: Well, one last thing, Senator. You know, you you take those guys that want to be you that come from outside the state and want to run against you they're going to be on the same stage with you sometimes so don't yeah. take any shit from anybody okay hey man so-
2: i uh <laughs> I, I don't plan on that that's for sure but uh you know it's <laughs> a crazy damn world we live in i just gotta tell you you bad. <laughs> yes. yeah. but but you know <laughs> it's still the greatest country that's ever existed on earth and we shouldn't take that for granted at any moment in time it can that can change and yep it's one of the reasons i mean right now i'm dealing with a thing called a supplemental for for Ukraine and Israel and Indochina and the southern border. The folks I serve with here got to get real, man. Uh, if, if we don't get that supplement a out, I'm telling you as sure as I'm sitting here, the world order will change and we will not be the beneficiaries of that change. Yeah. Oh. So we got to do some stuff.
0: Yeah, John, I not to belabor the point, but I spent one week in May in Ukraine and another week in September in Ukraine. And if they would just meet, now I'm not talking about Zelensky, man of great courage, great leadership skills, but the people we met with were the soldiers who were coming on and off the front, the people who were fighting for their country, the women who had lost their grandparents and were still trying to keep civil society going. I have never met braver people and to suggest that we should not support these people in fighting back against the greatest tyranny yep. in the history of my lifetime is mind bogglingly stupid to me. I can't yep. believe that people would not be helping you every step of the way to get the resources to, to Ukrainians to fight this fight that they're fighting for all of Western civilization, in my opinion.
2: Well, I'll tell you, I've been in that region too. I've been in Poland and Latvia and Lithuania, and I will tell you, I've never seen people that were more hungry for democracy. And if we as a nation can't lead and can't support that, what the hell have we become? Truly, what what have we become? Uh, it's it's pretty crazy.
0: Uh, and your friend and my friend, I keep thinking John McCain. If there was one thing that's happening right now, John McCain's flipping in his grave, thinking that that's we would fact. not stand with Ukraine.
2: And it's time to quit making excuses, and it's time to get them the damn money.
0: Amen. I'm with you. Hang in there. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll talk to you later, John. Be well, John. Take care, you
1: guys. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here on The Hot Dish. That's our show. Uh, Anytime I get a chance to hang out with Heidi Heitkamp and John Tester, it's a good day. It's a really good day. One of them cheats at Pinochle and the other doesn't. You go ahead and figure out which one it is. Thanks for joining us and uh, hope to see you a lot in 2024. To learn more about the work of the One Country Project, visit onecountryproject.com. And if you like the hot dish, write us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And to support the important work that One Country Project is doing to elevate the needs of rural America in Washington, please visit onecountryproject.com forward slash give. Thank you so much.